2: Welcome
3: to the Cricket Collective on Talk Sport 2. I'm Jared Kimber and I'm joined by Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Tonight we look at England's win against Pakistan in the first test and take a look at what might happen in the second. There will be Butler, Wokes and Stokes chat, and we'll take a look at Jimmy Anderson. So let's get stuck in.
1: Brilliant from England, actually. Pakistan have dominated this test match pretty much from start till uh, towards the end as Ali's captaincy is going to come under the microscope. But Joe Roots was after day two. So that's the game. And uh, it doesn't matter if you're leading for uh, three quarters of it. It's whether you're leading in the last quarter. England have done that. They've won the test by three wickets. They've beaten Pakistan. I think what you have to do if you want to be a consistent side around the world and... And to, to string wins together for long periods of time, you're going to have to be adaptable. And I think today we showed that after three days of being behind the eight ball and behind the game, we managed to find a way to win. Um, and sometimes you know, that strength of character is what can do, that, that's what gets you back into a, a game. And we showed shared that in abundance today.
3: Well, Steve Harmison, what are your thoughts on England's win? Because it was an odd game. I would say that Pakistan had three chances to sew this one up. And somehow they, uh, well, they they unraveled all three times.
4: Yeah, good afternoon, Jared. Good afternoon, everyone. You totally agree. I think Pakistan did help England uh, win this test match. I think what Joe's saying is right. Yeah, it's great to be able to win a game from, you know, being behind the eight ball. It does give you confidence but there 's going to come a time where you 've got to ask the question how, why are we getting in this position? This is not the first time it 's happened. These are games that when you 're on a, on a good run when you're when you 're sort of you know, unbeaten in ten test matches and you can you can win a game from coming behind. I think what you 've got to f- ask is as well is are enough people doing their jobs properly and I think there are a few question marks on what 's been happening, and I think we can give them a, cut them a little bit of slack because they haven 't you know the, the the bubble that they're in, and the games, you know, first class matches aren't. They haven't had the build up, so I look at someone like Anderson, who you know had a had a poor game from Jimmy's standards, but I'll give him it because it's the first time we're probably talking about Jimmy in five years, and more. Whether he's places is in question for the second test match, the next test match, on performance alone. So you know you, you you can cut him a little bit of slack, but I do believe that Pakistan did contribute. Massively in England winning that Test match because, you know, if if, if I was Misbah and yeah you know, Eunice Khan and Mushy and uh, Waka Eunice, the coach in that that uh, dressing room, I'd be saying we've missed a trick here. We could have, we could have England under pressure, with their best player not playing in the next two Test matches, and what a great place that would have been to be in.
3: Yeah, I mean, essentially it was three huge chances, wasn't it? So the first one was when they had England three down with over 300 um, on the board. Three down for almost nothing in that first innings, England. Then they had a 100-run lead, which, which they got through, you know, fighting back a little bit after England put on a good partnership. Mm. And then they had the final one. That's the one we focus on. But realistically, uh, I, I think the first two chances, especially when, if you go out with a 100-run with a lead and, uh, you know, and you've got... Solid top order and some good middle order players. Yes, they had a bit of a a weakened tail... You would expect Pakistan to do a little bit better than what they did, really.
4: Yeah, absolutely. You would be. That's the the, the disappointment from a, a batting department. Nobody really went on. If you look at it, the the scorecards and you think, you know, you've got one, two, three, three players in the in the sort of mid, mid to late twenties. You've got a player who's got. I know he's Yasir Shah, but he's 33. is your top score. You're thinking it just takes one of them to go on and get a 75, or maybe he's you me. Know, I try and get a three-figure score. Then all of a sudden, it is is game over especially when you go into a third innings of a test match with a hundred run lead knowing that there's only been two scores over the in the history of test match cricket at Old Trafford two scores chasing to win a test match over 230 you're thinking we've got to have a, we've got a great chance here and possibly you know what Jared they might have just thought because this is a really a relatively young Pakistan side they might have thought they had won it yeah,
3: right. Very possible. Very possible. Well, let's talk about the, the two that sort of turned it around. Uh, we'll start with Josh Butler. Um, you know, very, very interesting that the amount of pressure that he's been under for a long time. A lot of it, not his fault. Uh, the way he was selected was quite odd by England in the first place. At uh, one stage, England had four wicketkeepers in their test team in mm. 10 tests, while Butler was kind of there and thereabouts the whole time. But here's what Matt Pryor has said about Josh Butler.
0: If anyone else walks out to bat or is batting when Josh Butler was batting, do we win that test match still? You know, you've got a man there with with absolute X factor and not just the skill that he has within executing a plan or or the batting, but actually the mental skill, the ability to, in that pressure situation, when England are 117 for five, to make a split-second decision of, right, the best form of defence is attack. Like mm. Chris Wokes get behind me. I'm going to lead it. Starts reverse sweeping the leg spinner, putting pressure back on the Pakistan bowlers. And suddenly they had a, they had a partnership of 40, 50 runs in no time at all. And, and they wrestled control back. Now that it looks easy. It looks easy to do. And it looks like it's carefree batting, but that is meticulous planning and, and fantastic decision-making from someone who mentally is very, very strong and very, very resilient. So, Yes, we can criticise the, the glove work and the wicket-keeping, but actually the brilliance of the man won us the test match. He certainly certainly did. The other thing I'll just throw into the, 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 the pot is just because these guys are phenomenal wicket-keepers, Jack Russell, Alan Knott, I promise you, drop catches. They made mistakes <laughs> because they're, they're human. And just because someone is the best wicket-keeper doesn't mean they're not going to make a mistake every now and again.
3: That was former England wicketkeeper Matt Pryor speaking with Hawksby and Jacobs over on TalkSport. Now, I've got some thoughts here, Harmy. Mm. Um, I wish Matty was on the show. So, I, so do I. Could, I. I, could,
4: yes, I know so I you're going to say.
3: <laughs> so, Josh Butler has had five opportunities in test match cricket to complete a stumping and he hasn't done one. He's had 46 first-class matches, and he has two stumpings. At this point, we know one thing about him. He doesn't stump with the red ball. That's a big problem, especially going to play India very soon. And then the most obvious thing, which you know I'm going to say, Hami, but I'm still going to say it. Pakistan had a 107-run lead, and Shan Masood made 110 runs after the drop and the miss stumping by Butler, of which you would expect an average wicketkeeper. I'm not, I'm not talking about... You know, Alan Knott or, or Jack Russell. I'm talking about an average wicketkeeper. I mean, the the other wicketkeeper in that match, um, I thought was incredible, Rizwan for Pakistan. You would expect them to at least get one of those. Now he's missed both of those, so no one's doubting that he can, on occasion, and it is on occasion because he's only averaging low thirties. Do that, but you can't you can't say he was the only person who could have won that game because we don't know that any other wicketkeeper would have allowed England to get that far behind in the first place.
4: Yeah, he put up he argued if he were just. Go off what we said in the first part of the show about how Pakistan contributed to England winning the Test match. Josh Butler contributed to putting England in a position that we're in, i.e., 100 runs behind of of, of what happened. I thought everybody was poor on that on that sec, sort of, that second session uh, mm. in the afternoon. I thought it was, you know, it was chalk and cheese from from the first session to the second session. He wasn't the only one that looked flat, deflated, and. You know, things were people were making silly mistakes. Not silly mistakes, but just, just sloppy mistakes. I thought that was that was going around. I thought I thought even some of the senior players were doing that. So uh, you could... And these things happen. You, you drop a catch. The stumping was the one for me. A stumping. It was a regulation stumping. You know, he was a long way down the wicket. Joss would be really disappointed he didn't take that stumping. A catch standing up, every catch standing up is a difficult chance mm. because of, of how how quickly the ball goes and movements. So you can forgive a little bit for that. So it's a stumping more than anybody else. And you flip it over to the baton. When well, Matt Pryor says, and rightly so, and he says, you know, the clarity of thought to go on the counter-attack and the go, yeah. I have been, I've been, and you know, we've as we've been in the Caribbean and we've been in in South, in South Africa, Jared, I've been one of Joss Butler's biggest critics. And I have mm-hmm. been because more from, not on his not him, largely down to not his prob not his fault but how england selected him and how england used him and how how many chances he's got compared to the likes of a Berstow and a few others and when you come up, talk about his batting i have never had a problem with jos butler having the game in front of him this is what it needs to this is what it's going to take to get england over the line this is how many runs we need this is how long we've got to go it seems to be a clarity of thought not a problem mm. there we go the game's in front of me i'm going to go and do it my problem with jos butler is in the first innings i, I still think in 46 test matches jos butler struggles to sort of know what sort of role he needs to play when he's playing first innings or third innings of a test match. And that for me, after forty six test matches, is a little bit of a concern. A little bit like flipping over to when Warney talks about Monty Panason and saying he hasn't played fifty test matches, he's played one test match fifty times. I think Joss But I believe Joss Butler, that's where his problems lie as later in his test career where maybe not not, not knowing where to go on full okay old- attack and go out at the bats at the, at the bowler or sit in because he's played some good innings his way. he sat in and absorbed the game and gone off on one later on or he's gone and been destructive joss butler that's first second or third innings in the last innings it's like a one day game this is the game this is where i need to be this is how it stands this is how i get over the line never ever had a problem with joss butler doing that he could do it stand on his head because of how he plays white ball cricket did I think he was going to do it? I, I believed he was in a better frame of mind because he was fourth innings and he had clarity of thought. My problem with Joss is sometimes, one, two, three, in the first, second or third innings, it's clarity of thought on understanding what Joss Butler is as a batsman is why he gets himself into why why he is in trouble. That's just my opinion. He probably disagrees. But when I seen him walk out in the position that England were in, I still think England had a great chance because of what he can do in a shorter format, game situation everything's in front of you going when they win the game Joss and he did it brilliantly so I don't want to take too much away from you know, shying off his achievements I hope this gives him confidence Jared I hope it does because England are going to need him and I tell you who's going to need him the most now Joe Root's going to need him the most to stand up and be a good sounding board because the loss of Stokes is huge for English, for England, the England cricket team and it's huge for Joe Root because he, he not only needs a batsman to stand up and be counted and get the runs but also at first slip, on a night time if things aren't going so going so well or there's decisions need to be made he needs a good sound right hand man and that, that man for the rest of the summer has to be Joss Butler
3: it's it's really interesting um, everything you say there. I think it's the best innings I've seen Butler play uh, yeah. on the four, on the fourth innings thing. He also he made his only Test hundred also in in the fourth innings. Mm. So we know that you know that seems to be a place that he enjoys to bat for whatever reason, which doesn't make sense because it's in some ways the conditions are the least like a, a white ball game. But I'm just going to throw one thing very quickly to you, Harmi. There was a point where they were bowling into the l- rough outside his leg stump. Yassir Shah was bowling leg spin into the rough. That's not something that happens to you in a one day game, Butler decided to sweep him anyway, swept him out of the rough, got a top edge, went straight up in the air, and fell between two fielders. If that had been taken, the whole conversation about Butler and Aza Ali would be completely different.
4: it would, but that's life then in, in if yeah. buts maybes, in that's where you know if- you could you could said that about a hundred different times during that test match because that test match was so back and forward and nobody really wanted to take the game by the scruff of the neck and there was little things here and little things there you could look at the stumpings, the catches, Pakistan make, making the mistakes to give England a chance to win the game and if Joss had been caught there then they don't go they don't get over the line but at the end of the day he wasn't and he was good enough, big enough, strong enough and have the game in that in that situation to counter-punch and go at what you would say as a little bit of an inexperienced side but also a side that I thought cracked under pressure and that's something that will give England confidence and heart knowing in the next two test matches if we get these in a position where we've got them by the throat we're not going to let up because we've seen these these Gleeslock can't handle the pressure. Also
3: worth talking about Chris Woakes, very briefly, who played an in incredible innings. In fact, at some stages, I think he was out-batting Jos Butler, mm. which is uh, which is something in itself. Uh, you're listening to the Cricket Collective on Talksport 2 with myself, Jared Kimber, and Ashes winner Steve Harmison. Still to come, we'll discuss England's batting conundrum and what Ben Stokes' absence means for Joe Root's side for the rest of the series.
1: Ben Stokes, who of course starred in the series against West Indies, an integral part of the team for the last couple of years. He will play no further part in the remaining series. Um, there's been a family situation and unfortunately, because of that, Ben Stokes will play no further part in this Pakistan series.
0: Family comes first and we we'll all rally around him and
5: try and support him the best we can. Yeah, look, we'll have to, um, you know, we'll have to sort of make do in his absence and uh, people to step up, and um, now it's going to be—it's going to be—it's uh, going to be good. But um, yeah, we wish—we wish Ben all the best.
3: This is the Cricket Collective on Talksport Two, and as you heard there, Ben Stokes will miss the remainder of England's Test series with Pakistan due to family reasons. And thankfully, on the Cricket Collective, we've got our own uh, Durham local. <laughs> uh, to come on and be an expert, the Stokes Whisperer, as no one has ever called him before. Um, I mean, I'd suggest, Harmy, that Ben Stokes is the hardest to replace cricketer in the world. Um, he's certainly, you know, with Jason Holder and Ravage Adasia, they are uh, as incredible all rounders over the last couple of years, perhaps the three best players in world, in Test cricket. You can't replace him, um, uh, you know, and uh, it's going to be tough for England, isn't it?
4: It is. It's going to be, it's, he's a huge loss is a huge loss and you know he's going through you know he's he's got ha- gone through the mill in the last sort of you know a few years Ben Stokes with you know one thing or another uh, on and off the field. And I think the testament to the kid of all the negatives that he's he's had in his life and, <clears throat> you know, the, the the stuff that he had in, in Bristol shows you how far he came to be England captain. That's huge. That is a huge thing to have from where he came to where he is. And that there tells you how much he will be missed in that England, t- England drink, dress room the England team on a performance because not only has he performed on the field, he's looked after himself, he's sort of... He, he's made sure that he's doing the right things, he's, yeah, he, 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 he's positivity when it comes to the dressing room, his performance on a pitch, and he's got himself in a position to be England captain when Joe Root when Joe Root was missing. That tells you how much the management think of him, that's how much respect for he's got for the players and everybody in the dressing room. And like you said there, I don't think there's a, a player in the world that's more, you know, irreplaceable than what than what Ben is. So it's gonna be huge. Um, we we all, you know, got an idea of what situation is happening with him and his family and we all I think I speak from everybody from TalkSport, when we wish Ben and the Stokes family, you know, well with well, well, what's coming. And uh, I, I I just hope that, you know, the England team put on a performance for him at uh, the Aegeus Bowl that in his absence um, which will uh, which will put a smile on his face because you know he's he's lifted that England team from from the floor many many times Um, and it's now that team's Duty to stand up and be counted in his absence because you know, I, I'm not sure where where England go. They can't go down the all rounder slot, so they might have to then pick an extra batsman and pick one less bowler, or do they try and back the 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 the, the team that that you know the, the the balance of the side that because fair enough Ben wasn't bowling in at Old Trafford, but you have to then balance the side the way they did it at Old Trafford, which I think would be a big risk. Yeah, it, it, it's because
3: you can't replace him, they might get very flexible with, with their lineup and the way that they look at this. But let's be honest, they have had trouble finding middle-order players and or especially top-order players um, for a long time. And, you know, if he's batting at four and they don't have an obvious replacement for that, it does get a little bit tricky, doesn't it? I'm assuming the most obvious thing is just to bring Crawley back and, and move Root back down. But uh, it's, it's a really interesting one, the way that they'll go about this.
4: Yeah, the... the- it's arguably they're going back to the nineties, where they go. I mean, our bits and pieces cricketers in that middle. If you bring Crawley back in, I think you have to. Uh, you have to play Sam Curran, which then all of a sudden you have a conundrum of, well, you can't play Wokes, Curran, Anderson, and Broad in the same side because that, even though it's in England, you'd have to hopefully get five overcast deers and. For, for the side not to be toothless. Then, then there's what happened well, with Wolks. He steers in the side because he was the match winner. And then all of a sudden, you're back to the Bro and anderson carry on and mm-hmm. whether you've got Archer and Wood. So all that is a, is a huge conundrum. And it just tells you how much Ben Stokes will be missed in this side. As well, mentioned before the break there, how important Josh Butler is going to be for Joe Root because the England vice-captain is not going to be standing at second slip talking to the captain and a good sounding board. That dynamic for me works and that dynamic is arguably why Josh Butler's got more time in the England cricket team than... Other people have, probably because Joe Root has got a sounding board on his left hand and his right hand. He's got Butler at keeping and he's got Stokes at slip on his on his, on his outside. That for me is a good team, and I think you know and that's why he needs now Butler to stand up. Not only because he's a sounding board, but Joss Butler in this unit, because Stokes is gone, is going to have to stand up to the party and score some runs. Because if he doesn't, that is a huge hole in that middle order.
3: Mm. and I think it's worth talking about the batting in general because I mean they've been sticky taping this batting line up together for a long time now and Stokes going up the order and improving as a batsman over the last what two, 18 months or so Yeah. has certainly made I think that's made a huge difference to the overall team but the other end of it is that they actually have opening batsmen who take the lacquer off the ball now and it wasn't that long ago that uh, you know the only job of an England opening batsman was to collect your cap um, mm. and, and then be ro- rotated out in a, in a few games time so um, Don Tom Sibley actually talked to the press today, so um, let's uh, listen to him chatting to the media about how he thinks he's gone in his early tests. You know, if you said to, uh, after 10 test matches you'd be um, averaging 40
5: in two test match hundreds, I'd be, I'd be pleased, but at the same time I do feel, sitting here now, that um, I've got a lot more to give, um, I'm, I've only sort of shown myself to a certain level at this stage and I do feel like I've let opportunities slip to score. Maybe four or five hundreds. I know that might be sounding greedy, and it might sound it might sound a bit unrealistic, but I, that's the, you know the way I think, and um, I think that, you know I just need to keep trying to build on what I am doing, and try and take the positives, and um, yeah, try and score a few more big uh, big scores this summer.
3: So after ten tests, Dom Sibley is averaging thirty nine point five. I only mentioned that because I think he said forty, mm. um, but maybe maybe he said around forty, which which is which is okay. But what's interesting about that is that doesn't seem like an incredibly uh, great number but when you factor in uh, what happened with England opening with everyone else over the last couple of years and then also factor in how, how tough opening has been around the world the global average of openers has been 34 during that time um, and there have been 20 openers who've made over 500 runs in the last three years now those are the successful guys and Sibley has the sixth best average um, in that group it does actually tell you just how well he has done and with him and Burns and you know, they, they both have some improvement left in their game, but they have at least allowed for that sort of strength of that middle order to get a bit of a break, haven't they?
4: They have, yeah. They've taken a shine off the ball on numerous occasions now, which is a good thing for England. Why is it a good thing? Because it doesn't expose our best player in route and it doesn't expose um, Stokes to the moving ball. And I think when you look at it, and you've got to put this in a context as well, Jared, 39.50 for an opener in England with a Duke, with a Duke mm. cricket ball, I know he's he's got you know uh, he's played a lot overseas um, and he came in overseas, but I think Burns as well, averaging sort of mid to late thirties, that's not bad for an, an England opener in, um, in like I mentioned before in them conditions. The challenge they've got now, and both of them have got, because I sit here as a as a, a very overweight former England former international fast bowler. I would lick my lips sometimes, bowling at them, because of the, there's a lot of moving parts with things going on when they're at the crease, at the point of contact when they, when they make contact with the ball. Yes, they are, you know, perfectly still, and the back comes down. But it just takes because bowlers are you know, that skillful nowadays, and both sides have got grit, um, uh, 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 both, you know, bowling units are very, very good exploit exploiting weakness. I think, you know, there there are batsmen are starting to get found out around the world and it's normally around 10 test matches when you do get found out and the ones that survive and the ones that become great and the ones that sort of get on and move on in life are the ones that educate themselves in different areas of scoring options and that's why I think Dom Sibley not only has he he's done to get himself in this position but he needs to do a lot more I think Burns does as well they need to find ways of rotating strike left and right in combination not getting bogged down too much and being able to put away the bad ball and put pressure back on the batsman and I actually think that they're starting to do that well and I think if they continue to do that I think that's good signs it's good signs for England's middle order and the one thing I've I've really enjoyed is is Dom Sibley's lost a lot of weight. I see, we seen him when we were over in Talksport for for the South African series. He was a big lad. He's now lost a lot of weight, and I think that has that tells me. Signs he wants to get better and his professionalism is getting better. If he does that, he's got a great chance of making turning a, four, a 39.50 average into 41, 42, 43 and playing 50, 60, 70 test matches. So, you know, a good signs, I think, for England with Dom Sibley.
3: Yeah, I think, uh, you know, there's a lot there that I agree with. And, and just in a general term, I think we know that Tom Sibley and Murray Burns aren't going to finish with, you know, test batting averages of 50. And, mm. neither you know, m- most likely, especially with Burns, he's not going to end up with 25, um, you know, hundreds opening the batting or anything like that. But they are quite clearly the best options because England has tried everyone else. I mean, other than mm. you and um, our producer, Scott, I think almost everyone else has opened, um, you know, the batting in England at this point. They are limited players with, as you said, a lot of moving parts there. But they do do the very basics very well, which is they do take a lot of balls away from the game. And if you do have a strong middle order, and especially when England go back to having all those all-rounders, that's kind of
4: what you want. You want them both to try and take out as many balls as they can. And that's how England have been successful in the past, in English conditions. You go back through throughout the sort of eras and out the times. You know, during my time, just Treskothik just was a an anomaly because he was such a powerful player. But Tres. Trez did absorb a lot of balls. Strauss, Cook, you know, the, you know the trots at number three. Strauss, brilliant. You know these players. These players give the middle order a chance to face the ball between 30 and 60 overs old. And when you give somebody like you know the middle order of Root and Stokes and Pope and Butler or whoever comes in that middle order, you're giving them a chance to get themselves set. Give them a you know an easier time to come in, then all of a sudden it's you've got a chance to score on three fifty, four hundred, and if you do that in an English conditions with a bowler, you've got you'll win more games than you lose. So for me, I like that, and I, I think Crawley coming back in at three, he's got a little bit more of a tempo about him. He he hits the ball down the ground very well. He plays very straight. Big tall guy. I think that's a nice little balance for me. Left hand, right hand right hand coming in to take the you know the the, the new ball the shine off the new ball and i think that's got to i actually think that's got mileage and if they can get off to a good start by taking the you know the, the, you know, the number of balls out of the game it does give england like you said a four some explosive players down the order and give the ball a chance to to, to have runs on the board because i see it again and i see it all the time this Broad and anderson argument about can't play together in overseas conditions and stuff like that, I find that sometimes nonsense. And why? is because we don't get enough runs on the board on flat pitches. And when we don't, then the bowlers suffer. And when the bowlers suffer and search, then they get question marks. And that's why we're getting the Broaden and anderson combination. If we get 400, 450 on the board first innings, the likes of Broaden and anderson will win test matches for us.
6: Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.
1: The following on podcast is proudly sponsored by Barbados Tourism. If your passion for travel is on par with your passion for cricket, then I have some excellent news. The ICC Men's Cricket T20 World Cup Final is being hosted in Barbados this June,
0: Anderson goes in. Hepburn with a cover drive. Oh, crackerjack shots! It was one bad game, and I don't, I'm sure I'm gonna have another bad game in, in my career. I um, just don't want every time I have a bad game for it for there to be whispers going around that I'm I'm gonna pack in. So um, for me, it's just about trying to find a way of dealing with that. Find a way of dealing with the outside noise. Here he comes it again, Anderson, and the Bulls too. I Hope and Hope is getting to do that full driven beautifully through extra and this could be another boundary. You know, Jimmy Anderson wants to play Test Group for England. He's not retiring, he's not gonna to choose to retire. He doesn't wake up in the morning questioning whether he wants to carry on. It is abundantly clear he's here to stay. What well,
2: well, is that two of his games, so he's gonna retire? It's ridiculous. Mm. You know what I mean? You're listening to The Cricket Collective
3: on TalkSport 2. Myself, Jared Kimber, and Ashes winner, Steve Harmson. It's now time to turn our attention to the future of England's all-time leading wicket taker, Jimmy Anderson, who quashed any rumours of a potential retirement when speaking to the media on Monday. I mean, Harmy, you get to 38 and you're a bowler. You can't afford a bad ball, let alone
4: a bad test. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, I, I laugh at it sometimes, but I, I, can, I can see why Jimmy gets gets frustrated we live in now in a 24-hour a sports news social media world where you know everything and everybody's got an opinion and people who have got an opinion matter nothing really um and it's about whether jimmy wants to carry on and i listen to the way he speaks i see him train we were out and we were, we were like i said before we've we've seen closely in the winter how hard that guy works yeah. And I'm not just saying that because he's a former teammate of mine. I think there's still mileage and a lot of mileage in Jimmy Anderson. And I actually didn't think he bowled that badly the other day. He just didn't get any wickets. And that happens. There's many a times where you go through a game where you feel as though, well, I'm not at my best here, but I wasn't, I wasn't poor. And I didn't think he was in that, in that position. Um, I think what Jimmy's suffering from is, honestly, I think is the lack of game overs. Jimmy bowls a lot and if Jimmy's not playing in test matches in one, when the one days are on Jimmy's normally playing back for Lancashire and he, he bowls all day Jimmy Anderson has always been somebody who bowls a lot of overs whether it's playing first class for Lancashire or in test matches and he's not had that this year and I think he's, he can see by little, little technical things where his wrist is not fully behind it um, and he's maybe questioning that but is he finished? No, he's nowhere near finished, and I think you know, there's England have got a decision to make because of no Ben Stokes in this game, and he might not play. But anybody writing Jimmy Anderson off, uh, do it at your peril because you don't write greatness off. I hope, I really do hope that it, it isn't the end for Jimmy this summer. Um, it's going to be tough for the selectors because they go to Sri Lanka and in India, but sentiment. For me, I, Jimmy Anderson deserves to walk off with a full house at the Oval with a ball in the hand and waving goodbye to everybody because of what he's done for for English cricket. That is said with my heart, but my head still thinks he's uh, he's still one of England's best four bowlers. Um, and I, I still think there's marriage in the guy, yet.
3: yeah. Yeah, having watched him, I find... Yeah, the conversation about him just doesn't seem to match with what I've seen of his bowling. I think he's bowled okay. I think he could improve a couple of things, as you said, technical things. Um, interesting enough, um, Darren Goff said the same thing today when he was talking about Jimmy Anderson's length. What he's going to do, Jimmy,
2: which is hard, on flatter pitches, he finds himself bowling a yard shorter than he normally would. And when he bowls a yard shorter, Jimmy, he's not the same bowler because he's not going to get that movement if there's anything in the wicket whatsoever, and he's scared of getting driven, because he's naturally a little bit slower. He's got to go fuller, because that's when Jimmy is such a magnificent bowler, and he still gets movement, and he's still got a huge skill set. So any advice I could give him is but go back to just bowling that a little bit fuller. I think he just gets in his head when his negative thoughts are coming on, and, all, and you could see with... His personality, that last test match, he wasn't quite there. It wasn't quite Jimmy, what we've been seeing. He just dragged his length back a little bit. Get it a little bit fuller and back himself because of his skill set.
3: So that was Darren Goff over on TalkSport talking on his show The Drive. But here we go, Harmy. He didn't just talk about Jimmy Anderson. For whatever reason, uh, he also brought you up. So we've got some audio on that.
2: People don't realise, when Jimmy Anderson to go as long as he has and keep going. Mind you, you don't play anything in between. But some of these guys, I mean, bowling and over, it's a lot of effort going through your body. A lot of effort. Six balls and over, that's six sprints. S- Listen to him, six sprints. But it is sprinting and then the energy to pull the ball at between 80 slow, and 90 it, miles an hour. if you're a slow bowler? Not, there's no sprints. Yeah, well, you're walking in or jogging in for that, but you're still putting that revs on the ball in your body yeah, to but get through not, the action. you're not putting the old seven times your body weight if you're a slow bowler, are you? Probably just, not. Just but you're little... still putting that effort through the body. And it's just one of those. A lot of them have injuries when they retire because of that. They're not injuries. Cricket injuries are not real injuries. Let's <laughs> <laughs> just go to the phone lines, Jerry. Let's ask some of them. Flintoffs, What's myself. What's that? Same as me. He's got... Knee problems, same as me. Same what Steve, the knees Steve Steve Armisen, take Look at Army. Away. Army can't run or anything. That's why he looks like he, the way he does. <laughs> 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 He's great at bicep kills <laughs> with a bite in his hand. <laughs>
4: Oh, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, got I don't
2: love. you got to love him, ain't you?
3: <laughs> I, I don't know what he's talking about. I oh. was there at your last gym session, so I remember just how hard you were working. You looked like a machine to me.
4: Yeah, I've got a run to drink as much as I do. Now, <laughs> I, I can, look, go back what Darren was saying. There's, there's you know, the fun element at the end. The, the serious element, that, first of all, what he said about Anderson, his lens, pulling his lens back. Agree I agree a little bit, not massively, because I know what Jimmy Anderson does. Jimmy Anderson plays with batsmen. That's why Jimmy Anderson is probably not as effective with a cookable ball than he is with the Duke ball, because he's setting a batsman up. The reason why he bowls back of a lend is not always to protect his figures. He's getting a batsman in a position where he wants so many things right. When I bowl fuller, like Darren's wanting him, he's got a batsman in a position to put his technique under the microscope. I have never seen a bowler for me in the history of the game exploit the weakness of a batsman as good as Jimmy Anderson. He is the best at it because of his wrist position, he swings the ball in, swings the ball out and he does that through through skill and setting a batsman up. It'll take Jimmy 10, 12, 14 balls to set a batsman up and you think, and sometimes I sit there and I go, oh no, come on Jimmy, just just put him out of his mizzy." You're playing with him, you're playing with him, he's playing and missing, playing and missing. One goes up there, completely Flat-footed batsman LBW or bowled, and you're thinking, well, that's what Jimmy does. So it's not always to protect these figures. So from that element, and the other the other element, yeah, a fast bowling is hard. Everybody, yeah, you know, everybody that bowls quickly does, you know, pick up injuries. And you know to to counter Darren's. Where he is, his knees—he's got no knees there, and that's what he did. But that's carrying the belly he's got, and he was six foot—he was about six foot four when he was eighteen, and <laughs> by the, by what he is now after all the operations he's got, he's five foot two, and he's uh, he's a little porky, uh, a little uh, a little porky fast bowler. But so that's my my go back at him. It is a difficult thing to do bowling quickly. What? Hey, it's, it's something that we love doing because there's no better feeling, and Goffey will tell you, no better feeling when you see the whites of a batsman's eyes as the ball goes past him <laughs> and it hits the Wiggy glove hard and you think, right, I've got one up on you here and that is the best feeling in the world.
3: Well, I mean, let's talk about fast bowling a little bit because Jofra Archer took four for 86 uh, in this game and you would have assumed by some of the talk around that he took none for 180. Mm. Uh, he, uh, so much talk about how quick Nazim Shah, the young Pakistani, bowled. I thought him and Jofra bowled roughly the same pace uh, from uh, you know, slightly different kinds of bowls. One looks like he's bowling really quickly and one doesn't. But there is, uh, you know, if you look at um, major league pitches in baseball, if, if someone says that they can pitch at 95 miles an hour, they basically pitch at 95 miles an hour most of the time. That's not the case in cricket, though, is it? Because, you, know, you, because you are running up and everything that else goes into it, it's not quite an exact science at this point, is it? So you can't always guarantee that Joffrey's going to bowl at his maximum pace.
4: Yeah, that's exactly right. Jared, it's the bowling is a human. There's a human element to fast bowling. It's not an exact science. It's not done by robots. It's done by human beings who might not feel great about themselves, who might not feel as though they've got the right rhythm, who might just not get a great deal out the pitch. Do you know what I mean? They don't get anything out the pitch. So, I think there's a lot of people who want to stick the boot in a jaw for Archer. I don't like it. I understood it because I got it as well because of maybe a little bit of a laid-back attitude. The one thing I potentially see in Joffre is he's maybe he's not enjoying this bubble that they're in and having a little bit of freedom because Jofra's not really done overseas tours and trips where it's like that a lot of the time. So maybe he's, he might need to take, be taken out of the firing line. Take him out of the firing line for the two test matches. Play Mark Wood. You've got Ollie Robinson in there. Send Joffre to play for Sussex for a couple of games. He gets... 15, 20 wickets, comes back for the one days. Hopefully you're rejuvenated and a happy job for Archer. That would be good management for me.
3: Yeah, it would be very interesting, of course, if you are a batsman in county cricket and you have to face him. But that's a (laughs) completely different argument. You're listening to The Cricket Collective on TalkSport 2. Myself, Jared Kimber and Steve Harmison. And after the break, we're going to be talking about whether England should tour Pakistan. Personally, I
2: would have no problem with that. So, you know, I mean, it's, I've never been to Pakistan, so it'd be nice to go there and, and have a look, really. I know the batsmen would look forward to batting on their wickets. It. So, it's, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, for me, it's great that obviously it's back and it of a good conversation, and, and we're looking to get that. That would be a symbolism of
3: you're listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport Two. Myself, Jared Kimber, and Ashes winner Steve Harmison. That was England head coach Chris Silverwood talking about the prospect of touring Pakistan in the future. And we've got a man who has toured Pakistan recently, Mike Selvey. How are you? I'm well, Jared. How are you? Not too bad. Can you talk us through how you ended up in Pakistan recently? Well, it
5: recently mean 2007, uh, 17. <laughs> sorry, 2007, 2017. Um. It was a time when there was a great imperative to try and get um, even first-class cricket back to, to Pakistan. And uh, uh, Najam Sesi, who was chair of the PCB then, told what, what the ICC had formed something called Pakistan Task Force, which, was, which had the objective of trying to get um, international cricket back to Pakistan and, and actually to support inter- international Pakistan cricket anyway in, in terms of keeping going, which they managed to do in the Middle East, of course. Um, and he he said, "Well, if you can get a World XI to come out here, we will get the PC, uh, the final of the uh, of the Pakistan Super League, to Lahore that March in 2017, and we will use that as a dry run for the security that you might need to get an international side, which will be a World XI out there." And I first went out there in the March with um, what was an ICC, essentially an ICC security um, investigation involving security people from uh, a good number of the, uh, of the cricket country, cricket nations, to go around and see what the security is like and, uh, uh, for the P- uh, Pakistan Super League final. <clears throat> and my brief essentially was to view it as if I was a player. I mean, I, I, I did the whole thing as if I, I was a player involved in the final <clears throat> and, to, and to write an honest account of how I felt about that. Which I, which I duly did. And then I went back in the September in a different role with the, um, with the World 11 to play Pakistan in three T20 internationals, again in Lahore. Uh, and at that time, I wrote a, a very long, 20,000 word um, account of the whole process from the, the Sri Lankan attack through to the World 11 going there and what led to it and, and everything behind it for, for ICC's archive. Um, so again, I was quite heavily involved. So those were my two trips in in, in
4: 2017. And so we've seen on, on on the TV some of the documentaries that come. Others has been out to talk to the the Prime Minister Imran Khan, who obviously yes. you play cricket against, and he's you know the, yes. the, the man in charge of, of the country. We've seen Wazim Khan, who's the CEO of of, of the PCB, yeah. pushing. Trying to get cricket back in, it is, I've toured Pakistan, it's a a great place to go and and play. But what do you see, what do you see the safety uh, hurdles that England or a high-powerful Test player nation, they're going to have to overcome to get a big, big tour on? Because when England go there, not only is it huge, huge news, but it's not just going into one part of Pakistan, you'd expect them to go to the whole country. Well, you, you 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 have to rationalise it, homie, But I think what you, I think the first thing we need to recognise
5: is that that uh, terrorism is a global thing. It's not just Pakistan mm. thing, you know. Um, and and I would you know I would remind you, in fact, that um, you know fifty six people died in in, uh, in on the seven seven bombings in two thousand and five, and and two weeks later, not two miles up the road, Harmy, yeah, you were hit. That was planned, yeah, head, definitely. Yeah. So, so you, you see where I'm coming with that one, definitely. And, and you know, and, and the Christchurch attacks, for example, um, you know, these, are, these are great tragedies, but it goes on worldwide. So we tend to focus on Pakistan. Now, what I saw there, the the, the, the security level was just huge. It was astonishingly huge, uh, mind-boggling for me to see this. And and actually, the, the part that sort of grabs the players isn't the most important part. You know, the the actual cavalcade to the ground. The you know, so twenty-one vehicle cavalcade. This thing to the ground. Ten 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 of the vehicles are containing very high-level elite troops, and you've got all sorts of vans with detector equipment. You've got high-profile uh, police people in this. You've got machine. You've got the lot. You've got snipers on the roof. You have the, the, the roads are sealed off there. They're, Uh, No traffic allowed anywhere within 200 metres. It takes six minutes to... You know how far the Pearl Continental is from the ground harm? It takes Mm. six minutes to get there. You know how far the airport is from the PC? It takes six minutes. Mm. Now, that's what they're doing. But that is actually... The the, um, the security will tell you that is not really, really where the problem is. The problem comes in in the security at the ground itself. And the the, the security at the... Now, I'm I'm specifically talking about Lahore here, right? Because that was my experience. But the, the the security at the Gaddafi Stadium for was for the first game for the for the Pakistan Super League was was huge. But there were a couple of little teething problems, which was the whole object of the exercise. For the for the second game, the whole exercise in the now you know Reg, don't you? You know Reg Dickinson yep, yep. very well, right? Reg, Reg we explain? Reg is the ECB's um, security consultant, but Reg Reg's company, um, Eastern Star International, was the the company that was charged with Looking after the security for the for these uh, matches, and subsequently had a three year contract, um, which is probably still still there now, <clears throat> to to train um, uh, people in the security of the other of the other grounds. But um, Reggie was charged with with this. the the entry into the into the Gaddafi Stadium. Was, it, the Gaddafi Stadium is actually it's centered inside a, a sports complex called Nishtar Park, and to get into the ground, people had to go through four different security stages to get into the ground the first one's about 800 meters away from the ground itself Um, all the security was done the ticketing was bio had had, uh, um, uh, electronic biometric um, recognition facial recognition um, the metal detecting to get into the ground the searches were um, the searches weren't completely satisfactory a little bit um, uh, untrained people for the first game and reg brought in world experts in the uh, in In uh, search procedures for the stadia to to train up the, for the and the second game for the for the world uh, the world elevens were were just remarkable and and went off uh, completely without a hitch and, and and were an absolute joy to be at so how those translate beyond Punjab this is all, this is all part of of what was called the uh, the Punjab Safe Cities authority. Who who had installed unbelievable technology? You know, they installed the the most advanced CCTV, the city-wide CCTV system in the world, with the help of the Metropolitan Police. So fifteen hundred kilometres of, of fibre optic cable went in. The two hundred CCTV cameras at the ground. There was a hospital at the ground, triage at the ground, a field hospital at the ground, helicopter. All these things were there. Um, and how that rolls out across beyond Punjab, into Karachi, Islamabad. Uh, I don't know how they've managed to do that. But you could get a tour together from for, in, involving involving uh, Lahore, Faisalabad in Punjab, um, uh, Karachi, and, and Islamabad, I would have thought quite readily now. That's a very long-winded answer to your question, but that, I mean, I I, I I think you could...
4: It is you know, important, though, Salva. It's important yeah, that we the, find yes. out that this is because... You know the the, the the safety is the most paramount, most paramount thing, and that's what the players of will course. want to know. Of course, and and you know, I, I, I you know I did go the first time I went in
5: in. Well, it wasn't the first time I've been to Pakistan. Obviously, I've been on tours with with with, with you, Harmie, and yeah. uh, and I had w I've had wonderful times there. Um, it's a fantastic uh, country to tour, and you know the, the I did honestly do it uh, in a, in a completely transparent and. Uh, um, way I was very honest about what I saw and how I felt about it, um, and and I did feel had I been a player I would have thought actually this is this is all right, and I, and I tell you one of the really important things that happened with the the Pakistan Super League final Zalmi against um, Gladiators it was, were that for the for Zalmi anyway there were four high profile overseas players went, which, were, which was Dabby Malan Chris Jordan um, Marlon Samuels and Darren Sammy. Um, now, that was important that they went. I think the, the World Eleven would have still gone ahead without them. It wouldn't have been quite the same thing. It wouldn't have had the same cash flow because these guys came out there and showed that actually it was all right and spoke very well about it and publicised it. So, so that, that was important too. They, they were in the vanguard of it. And since then, you know, there's been a lot more people um, come. they have had a um, uh, Pakistan Super League has been played in Pakistan now. You know, so that's, that's the kind of progress it's very expensive of course it's expensive um the pakistan governments um, know that it's expensive and are willing to subsidize that because the there's this collateral for this. this isn't just about cricket you know, it's about lots of lots of things beyond cricket the, the you know the perception of pakistan as a as a place to go um one one thing one thing i could tell you um, actually statistically actually when the when the, when they brought in the cities authority you know it was at a time where they uh, they thought actually what we're doing is a complete mess. You know, in the aftermath of the Sri Lanka attack, and subsequently, nothing was working. It was very disjointed. The whole um, procedures within within Punjab, and they they totally reformed this Citizen Authority, and, and 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 the remarkable drop in, in incidents that they had in just the three years when they formed it were, were, they were down in, in twenty fourteen. They had forty what they call forty three incidents in Punjab, and by twenty sixteen, that was down to seven. Uh, and that, and that's solely on the back of this remarkable cctv and I, and i've seen it in operation i've been in the in the control centre of this place and it is like something out of a, out of a movie it's a bit beyond you know it's a, beyond imagination and um and, and that, that's had that kind of effect that they they've managed to confine the great majority of incidents they get now to to the border areas of, of quetta and baluchistan and uh, and up in the northwest frontier very little comes beyond that. They're very good at monitoring and knowing where, where most people are. Um, and I say, the, the facial recognition is a big help in that one. Um, and and, and I, I, I genuinely think that, they,
3: uh, that they're on top of that as much as you could be on top of such a thing. Beautiful. Well, thank you very much. That was former Self. England bowler Mike Selby there. Uh, Harmy, thank you for coming on as well. Cheers, Jared. Always a pleasure. Uh, you've been listening to the Cricket Collective on TalkSport2 with myself, Jared Kimber, and former England bowler Steve Harmison. And as I said, that was formerly of England, Middlesex, and The Guardian, uh, Mike Selby there. If you missed any of the show or wish to catch up, you can download the podcast from the following on feed on the TalkSport app.